You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. David was known as a man after God's own heart. In other words, it's like this, that the things that really moved the heart of David were the things that moved the heart of God. He had a heart for God. He had a heart that sought hard after the things of God. If it breaks God's heart, it's going to break my heart. The closer I get to the Lord, and the more I love the Lord, the more I hate the things that the Lord hates. Just as David was known as someone who was after God's own heart, can others say this of you? The more you get to know God, the more you'll love what He loves and hate what He hates. Pastor J.D. urges you today to seek hard after the things of God, spending time with Him each day and letting His heart become your own. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 97 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. And then Paul, by the Spirit, explains how it is that we can overcome worry and fear and anxiety. And one of the ways is, spoiler alert, (laughs) it's to thank God for anything. To think back to all those times when God, sometimes the 11th hour, just pulled through and delivered you from all of your fears. Whatever the situation was, as perilous as it seemed, God was always faithful. He never left you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And so I'm of the belief that the Apostle Paul is talking specifically about thanking God for all the times in the past when God has been faithful. Because when you remember what God's done in the past, then you're able in the present to trust God for the future. Because He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So why is it that God would do all of this for you, all the great works that God has done, all the things that God has done over the years, the experience, the track record, if you prefer, that you and I have with God? What, He's not going to now? What's He going to say? Listen, I... I've helped you through some really rough stuff. I've got you out of some really difficult situations. But you know what? You need to buck up. (laughs) You're on your own, kiddo. You need to figure this out. I've done my part. Now you just need to figure this out. Never. That'll never happen. And so what I see the psalmist doing here is sort of struggling to give expression to his gratitude, his just his worship, his praise, his thanksgiving, all the glory that is due his name. And again, we're going to see this here shortly. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles in Hawaii, be glad. Oh, that's not necessarily specific to the islands, but he's again referring to creation. 
and the islands. Let the islands, the multitude of the islands be glad. Clouds, verse 2, and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare His righteousness. Notice again, the earth, creation, even the heavens, the whole of the heavens and the earth declare His righteousness, and all the peoples see His glory. Let all, verse 7, be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship Him, all you gods. Notice lowercase g. Zion, verse 8, hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. Now this is one of those places where you kind of wonder where the emphasis is here, because that could be read this way. You who love the Lord hate evil. In other words, a command. If you really love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. Or is it more like this? You who love the Lord, you hate evil. In other words, show me one who loves the Lord, I'll show you one who hates evil. I think of the Proverbs that says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord, to love the Lord, and really they they go hand in hand. This reverence, this awe, this love, this fear of God in all of His holiness. And what happens when we love God in that way, when we fear God in that way, then we're going to hate the things that He hates. We're going to love the things that He loves. This is why David was known as a man after God's own heart. In other words, it's like this, that the things that really moved the heart of David were the things that moved the heart of God. He had a heart for God. He had a heart that sought hard after the things of God. If it breaks God's heart, it's going to break my heart. The closer I get to the Lord, and the more I love the Lord, the more I hate the things that the Lord hates. He goes on, He preserves the souls of His saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. So Psalm 97 is in a lot of ways similar to Psalm 96 before it. And here again, there's this sense that the psalmist is is having some difficulty (laughs) trying to capture the vastness of God's greatness. And he's trying to find the words 
in order to describe and adequately express the glory and the goodness and the righteousness of God. As I was pondering this and thinking about this, even in my own worship of the Lord and those times when I just, you know, find myself just wanting to praise Him. And I just, I, I can't thank Him enough. I can't praise Him enough. I can't worship Him enough. The words are not enough. And it's almost like this, if I can say it this way, this sanctified frustration. I'll explain what I mean by that. It's almost like you're frustrated in your attempt to adequately praise and worship and thank God because this side of heaven you'll never be able to adequately, sufficiently express to Him all the glory do His name. You know, again, referring to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where Paul explicitly says that the cure for worry is praying about everything and thanking God for anything, and you'll worry about nothing. Think about this. And by the way, the word thank comes from the word think. Think about how long it would take you to thank God for everything He's done over the years that you've known Him and walked with Him. How long would that take? And by the way, what would happen to you by way of a transformation, a renewing, a change of paradigm, if you prefer, just in the process of thanking Him for even just a few things? It doesn't take long. I think of it this way. It's often said this way. I just heard it uh, today on the radio about thanking God and how we complain that we, you know, have a flat tire. We complain about a flat tire. Well, wait a minute. You should be so thankful that you have a car to have a flat tire on. No, think about that. What is it about us in our sin nature, innate within us, is this proclivity to always think about the negative side of what's happening in our lives. And not to just be thankful for even little things. You know, sometimes I'll find myself thanking God for just, I have hands, I have feet, I can walk, I'm healthy, relatively speaking. I mean, we all have our health issues, but I mean, I, I just thank God for all of these things. And when you do that, then your mind now is focusing on all the things you have to be thankful for. And now your mind cannot think on those things that worry you and trouble your heart. You know that Research has found that when we praise and worship God and even thank God, it has this calming effect. It releases these, you know, endorphins and dopamine and serotonin, all these feel-good hormones that God has given us. And it's almost like a spiritual sedative, maybe an anesthetic, if you, if you will, where it just calms us and settles us and centers us and anchors us 
in Him. It does us good to worship the Lord. Never see it like this. God saying, you need to worship me because I'm worthy of all of your praise. No, it is good to praise the Lord. Good for who? Oh, it's good for you. It, it does good for you. It will be good for you to praise the Lord because of the good that it does in you. But to me, it seems that this, again, sanctified frustration is a much needed reminder that God created us for eternity, which by the way, this is what we will be doing for all of eternity. It's not all we're going to be doing. But just think of it this way, if you can get your mind around this, for a trillion years, a trillion years, we will be able to adequately, perfectly in glory, in perfection, worship Him. And it's going to be nothing like what we see now through a glass dimly, blurry, darkly. No ear has heard, no eye has seen. I mean, we cannot possibly in the finite comprehend what it's going to be like in the infinite, where for all of eternity we are going to be worshiping Him, praising him. Psalm 1611 says that He inhabits the praises of His people. You know what I love about a Thursday night and a Sunday morning as well is when we start with the worship and it's a time to just kind of refocus, kind of get recalibrated and shift our focus, the focus of our attention upward and praise Him. Isn't it interesting, and I, I think you're going to know what I'm saying when I say this, because I, I feel the same way uh, myself. But you know how on a Thursday, especially if, if you've had a really rough day, you're like, man, I mean, it's almost, you know, five, five o'clock rolls around, 5.30, let's say six o'clock, you grab something to eat real fast, and then after you eat, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I yeah, I'm tired all of a sudden. And Man, you know, I really want to go, but, oh, you know, oh, I guess maybe, maybe I should just, you know, stay home and go to bed early. And, and then you push through that, and then you get here, and then David comes up, and we start worshiping and praising you, going, oh my goodness, I am so glad I came. The drowsiness is long gone. And by the way, Sometimes I'm convinced, I'll just speak for myself, in my own life, that's the enemy. See, the enemy doesn't like it when we praise the Lord, because he knows what happens when we do. He knows that God inhabits the praises of His people, the worship, <laughs> all the glory do His name. Satan is all about keeping us from worshiping God and keeping us from praying. The one thing Satan hates the most is a Christian who prays. That's why it is, by the way, that when you set your mind to pray and you say, hey, I'm going to pray right now, the forces of hell, the powers of darkness are unleashed. You know, if you have young kids, they start fighting. They didn't start fighting before I decided I wanted to pray. The phone starts ringing. Someone's at the door. I mean, all these things happen. 
Satan does not want you to come to a Thursday night Bible study. He certainly doesn't want you to come to a Tuesday night prayer meeting. That's why about Tuesday, 4 p.m., mark my words, I, I speak from experience. I'm telling you, in my own life, it's almost so predictable. It's like if, you know, maybe a few minutes go by and something hasn't happened yet, I'm like, hey, <laughs> hello? It's uh, almost time. Where's the satanic attack? Where's all the distractions? Where's all the things that always happen when Satan doesn't want me to do something? Don't get me wrong when I say this. He's not okay with it, but he's more okay with you coming to church than he is you praying. He's not as afraid of you I mean, let's be honest. You can go to church, you can praise, worship, come to this Bible study tonight. No problem. But boy, you start praying effectually and fervently. That's, that's, that means business. <laughs> he sees it like this, game on. Because he knows that he's a defeated foe when a Christian prays. That's the deciding factor. And he knows it. He doesn't want you to know it. When you get into the Word and the Word gets into you, you're into prayer. That's his greatest threat. And let me take it a step further and we'll, we'll move on to Psalm 98. But I want you to think about this. Was not Satan's whole goal, sole goal, in heaven before he was cast down to earth, wasn't his sole goal to be worshipped? He wanted the worship. And so he wanted to ascend his throne above the Most High because he wanted to be worshipped. He's cast down to earth. Stay with me on this. He's cast down to earth. He's worshipped. He, he will never be worshipped in heaven. That'll never happen. But he is worshipped on earth. Without getting into all the details of it, we've talked about this before, but have you ever thought of it like this? You know when they have these uh, concerts with these uh, musicians that have sold their soul to the devil? That's a real thing. That's not a gimmick. But, and you, and you see these concert goers, I mean, they're worshipping the devil. That's how Satan gets his worship. Have you listened to some of the lyrics of these songs? Back when I was younger, they, they were starting to get more overt. Now it's like so brazen. It's so clearly obvious. Satan is getting his worship. There will come a day when <laughs> he will no longer be worshiped. He will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. He's going to spend a thousand years in the bottomless pit. It's kind of interesting. I'm uh, taking my daughter through the entire Bible, and we were talking about from Genesis to Revelation that, you know, Lucifer in the garden, he's, he's not the opposite of God. When in Revelation he is cast into the bottomless pit, it's just one angel. And, and we're not even told the name. It's not Gabriel. It's not an archangel. It's not Michael. It's just an angel takes the devil and 
chains him and casts him into the bottomless pit where he remains for 1,000 years. And it's kind of interesting because when we are finally at some point, and we will, when we see him, we're just going to be flabbergasted. That's not even, that's an understatement. I don't even think there's, a, again, an English word to describe it. We're going to be so blown away on a couple of fronts. First, by how beautiful he is. And oh, by the way, just uh, spoiler alert, he's not red with horns and a pitchfork it's, and tights and the tail or however it's been, you know, <laughs> depicted. He is, he is going to be beautiful. And the contrast, when we behold the Savior, the Lamb that was slain, we are just going to be horrified, mortified. We're going to wince because He's going to bear all of those scars for all eternity when He paid for the sins of mankind. And so we're going to be drawn to him. And, and then the question is going to be asked, rhetorically, presumably, the question is going to be asked, as is recorded in Revelation, this is the one who deceived the nations? Are you kidding me? It's almost like a disbelief. Are you kidding me? There's two things that I didn't mean to go this far with, and maybe this is for somebody here tonight, two things that Satan's very successful at. First, he gets us to think that he's really powerful. He's not all-powerful. He's not God's opposite. He's a created being. He's limited. He's not all-present. That's why when somebody says, yeah, man, the devil was really on me this last week, I like to usually say, whoa, the devil himself? He cannot be two places at one time. How do you rate? I mean, he sends his minions, you know, his water boys after me. I mean, he's probably, you know, uh, he's got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. He's going to be attacking somebody way more important than me. So he's not all present. He's not omniscient. He's not all knowing. He's not all powerful. He's not omnipotent. So we're going to see him as this created being and so limited in what he can do. So Satan has succeeded in getting us to think that he's more powerful than he really is. And then on the other side of that, he's also succeeded in getting us to think that he's just this cute little cartoon character, doesn't even really exist. You know, it's kind of cute actually. You know, I like that shade of red and that tail is really adorable. So are those tights. No. So he gets us to either one of two extremes, and either way, he's got us. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control, and forever loving his creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website 
at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. We'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.